All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are live. A new report has been released by the Center for Countering Digital Hate, which features the Heartland Institute. The report titled The New Climate Denial Accuses uh, Climate Realists, like the Heartland Institute, of profiting off of the spread of disinformation and climate denial. The report's authors propose harsher restrictions be imposed by big tech companies to squash the supposed disinformation. Also, Davos kicked off this week, and the main theme of, uh, or one of the main themes of the World Economic Forum Conference is combating disinformation. We're going to be talking about all this and more on episode 432 of the In the Tank podcast. Right, welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I am your host, Donald Kendall. And joining me today, I've only got a couple in the game here. I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Uh, I'm doing great. You know, it's been so cold in Chicago uh, for the past week that I thought we might get another Jesse Smollett hoax. <laughs> oh. But uh, we didn't quite get it. But, you know, this cold snap's going to continue. You never know. Just kind of like Groundhog Day. We'll see. Yeah, that's that's my favorite time to assault people is when it's negative 15 degrees outside. So yeah, I'm surprised <laughs> everybody held back. Also joining us, we have Chris Talgo, editorial director at the Heartland Institute. How are you good, sir? I'm doing good. You know, it's been a very uh, cold last few days, but the good news is, Donnie, on Monday, it's going to be 36 degrees. I cannot wait. Oh, my God. It's going to be the, the nicest 36 degrees you've experienced in a while, I'm it's sure. Be downright balmy. That is way <laughs> too warm for a Jesse Smollett hoax, though. So I guess we had our window and we missed it. That's yeah, right. Did. Did. Uh, audio only listeners. Well, first off, we got a lot to get into this report that I mentioned in the intro. Um, I went through literally every page of it. I am going to rip it to shreds. So you better buckle up for that. But before we get into anything, I do have to put that message out there to our uh, our audio only listeners that are watching this, listening to this on iTunes or wherever. And uh, you're probably catching it on a Friday or later. Well, you can join the show a day earlier, earlier on Thursdays at noon central time where we are live streaming on Facebook and YouTube and Rumble and X. And you can join in the conversation. You can throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. We also have super chat functionality enabled if you want to support the show that way. Or if you want to support the show by not spending a penny, you can do that by just hitting that like button, subscribing, sharing this content, or just leaving a comment under the video. All those things help break through those big tech algorithms and prevent content like this from being shown to more people. But also... Before we get into anything, uh, last week's show, I outlined what I could imagine to have been a pathway to defeat for Donald Trump in the primaries uh, when it comes to him being elected as the Republican presidential candidate. And this hypothetical scenario would have started with Trump underperforming in Iowa compared to the polls. Well, the Iowa caucus occurred on Monday, and Trump did not underperform. In fact, the results were nearly identical to the polls leading up to uh, Monday's caucus. Uh, Donald Trump won with 51% of the vote, 
Second place, DeSantis with 21, Nikki Haley in third with 19%, and Vivek with nearly 8%. And uh, once the actual caucus officially started, they called the race for Trump within like 15 minutes. <laughs> That's not an exaggeration. So, Jim, I'll start with you. Did anything on that night of, of Monday surprise you? Well, what was his, um, what was his, I think he won 98 of 99 counties and the one county that he lost, he lost by one vote. So, uh, I think. And that county, that county was like a big, uh, like college town too, by the way. Yes. And, um, a lot of the, uh, you don't have to be a Republican to vote in the, you know, to caucus with the Republicans in the primary. So. The story coming out of that was that, uh, you know, Haley, a lot of the people who supported Nikki Haley were actually Democrats. But, uh, you know, regardless, uh, I think the what was it? I think the last poll said 53 percent or something was what. Uh, and I took the under on that. What did the what did the what did it finally end up being? I think it was probably the over on that. So, as I said at the time, you know, what's good about these caucuses and primaries getting going right now is that we don't talk about these stupid polls anymore uh this is going to be the shortest republican primary open now I, I, mind you this is an open primary there's not a, a necessarily he's considered the incumbent president mm -hmm. but this is not there's not an incumbent republican um president sitting in the white house at the moment so this is you know a supposedly wide open primary and it could be over before it gets above 40 degrees here in chicago <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh and so yeah the we, I wanted to see how what people will do, how they will choose. And it seems, well, after one caucus, that Trump appears to be unstoppable. Chris, you asked me if anything surprised me uh, of Monday's caucus. And my response was that I was surprised that there were no surprises. Like this went basically exactly how you'd expect it. There was no uh, you know, last-minute bump for Nikki Haley that jumped into second place or anything. Trump didn't far out exceed the polls or underperform or anything. Like it basically went how you would have expected it to go if you were betting on nothing surprising happened. <laughs> did anything surprise you? Yeah, one of the things that did surprise me is that the polls were actually pretty accurate because right. the past like few election cycles, I've just thrown, you know, the polls out because I feel that they are you know, just never even close to being what the, you know, vote actually is. But this was very, very close. So it shows to me that the uh, the polling was pretty accurate here. And uh, I think I just saw a poll released in New Hampshire that has Donald Trump up 16 points. So he's got a healthy margin there. So you can basically say he's going to win New Hampshire. And then, it, yeah, I think I agree with both of you guys that this is going to be the probably the shortest uh, primary season in uh, GOP history and Donald Trump's going to, you know, walk away with this. And then it's time for the party to coalesce and uh, really make sure. Will it? I, I mean, I don't think it's going to coalesce to the degree that I want it to, but I think that, I think that the signs are already starting to show that some of the, you know, people are seeing the writing on the wall. Uh, Ted Cruz already uh, endorsed Donald Trump. Marco Rubio has, and a couple others. So I think that they are starting to, to see that it's inevitable that Trump's going to win. He's going to be the nominee and we uh, have to, you know, rally behind uh, Donald yeah. Trump. Yeah. You know, I know that like elections are elections and they get heated and people throw, you know, uh, heated rhetoric at each other. And then once the actual vote happens, like, Oh, it's not lion Ted, it's lion Ted, mm -hmm. you know, like that, that sort of thing. And, and there was a little bit of that between Trump and Vivek Ramaswamy where, you know, they they had a little bit of like, I don't know. I think Trump was a little more critical of him just leading into Iowa. But then as soon as Iowa was over, Vivek drops out. 
and all of a sudden it's hey this guy's my best friend <laughs> so people are speculating ramaswamy for vp do you think that that is likely what do you think i don't think so i think it's no? going to be i think he's going to choose a woman i've been hearing a lot about elise stefanik uh, Christy Nome, governor of uh, South Dakota, a couple others. I think it's just so it's so early. I'm not even worried about that. Right. I don't think I and I, you know what? I, I mean, I don't think in uh, modern politics that the VP choice is going to you know make or break. Uh, they you constantly. I bet it could break. It. I bet it I could mean, break. Yeah, but it probably yeah. Can't make. <laughs> it's like I'm going Mike Pence again, doubling down. Jim, uh, it seems like Nikki Haley is almost trying to spin some of this as like a success. Is this just a desperation move, or is there any real hope for her? She came in third. She came in behind uh, DeSantis. And they were both so far behind Trump. I mean, again, 98 of 99 counties, and the one county he lost, he lost by a single caucus vote. So there's no way to spin this other than, look, the the, the Republican Party is Trump's, period. I mean, there's just no other way to spin this at all. And, you know, for better or for worse, I think a lot of voters feel that Trump got obviously hosed in the 2020 election and they feel as if the attacks on him, there was a meme that was always going around when Trump was president and it said something to the effect that they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. I'm just in the way, mm-hmm. meaning Donald Trump. And I think a lot of voters, especially Republicans uh, after the 2020 debacle, after COVID uh, locked the country down after all that trauma in people's lives, they feel like they got, uh, and then on top of that, they think they got hosed in the election. So they're, of course, they're going to rally around the guy who got hosed and the, and the man that they supported. So this, none of this is really very surprising to me. It would have really been a surprise, frankly, if any of the other candidates could have gained any traction on Donald Trump. And as I had said earlier on this podcast, we are going to see if Donald Trump's unique strategy was either brilliant or really, really dumb. And that was to basically not participate in the Republican primary other than have his name on the ballot and um, not have it get it kicked off by uh, leftists right. who run some states. And it's worked. Obviously, it's worked beautifully. So, uh, you know, good for him on that. You know, if he in fact, the only way I think Haley and DeSantis could have gained any ground on Donald Trump is if they he actually participated in these debates and he in his own for his own strategy smartly did not. And in fact, there were two debates, I believe, scheduled. The New Hampshire primary is on Tuesday, is it 20? Yeah, Tuesday, the 20th, January 23rd. There was a debate scheduled for Thursday and a debate scheduled for Saturday in New Hampshire among the candidates. And now they've all, they've both been canceled because Donald Trump's not going to come. Nikki Haley said, I think she said she doesn't want to debate Ron DeSantis. She's now moving past DeSantis and aiming right for Trump, and Trump's not going to debate. So they canceled him. This is really kind of nuts. I mean, there's been, if you remember the 2016, we remember we, we ran a pool, like kind of a uh, political death pool with uh-huh. points on how uh, you would get out, you know, based on who got out of the Republican race first. I th- what were there? 17 candidates. Something like and that. It, it went on for months and months. And now we, we only, before the real, any real voting happened, we had four or five candidates. And then now we basically are down to one. Uh, there's nobody that's going to catch Trump now. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he's clearly, basically the incumbent candidate. I mean, I was looking back at all of the the Iowa results, Iowa caucus results of like the previous kind of open primary years. And they were all very close. Uh, the one that Trump was involved in, 
uh, I think Ted Cruz won it, and then Marco mm-hmm. Rubio came in second, and then Trump came in third. But they were all within like two percentage points of each other. And then if you go back further, um, I think Rick Santorum won or something like that. And again, it wasn't a wide margin at all. And I looked back like a few more years, and it's just like nothing was even close to a thirty-point blowout. Like not even close. So. Yeah, pretty pretty safe to say that he's got it in hand. It's his to lose. He can fumble at the one-yard line, maybe, but that's the only chance never-Trumpers have of him not being the candidate. So, You know, Donnie, just another thing that stood out to me was the juxtaposition between Joe Biden's polls, you know, literally plummeting to the bottom. He's now at 33% approval rate oh. in a uh, president's first term in modern history. Uh, and Donald Trump, you know, on the other end of the spectrum is, you know, like this unstoppable force that the voters are just, you know, up, you know, uh, congregating to in mass. And <clears throat> some of the uh, the exit polling uh, out of Iowa, I think, you know, really hit the nail on the head as to why this is happening. There are three issues that people are worried sick about the economy, immigration and, uh, you know, national security. Joe Biden has done a horrible, horrible job in all three of those. Donald Trump did a very good job in all three of those. That's why I think as much as the Democrats might try to make this election about some, you know, abstract concept about saving democracy or whatever, I don't think that's going to fly because I think that the vast majority of Americans are looking at their, you know, their bank account. They're looking at the border situation and they're looking at the fact that the world is potentially on fire. Pakistan just, you know, launched some airstrikes against Iran yesterday. So, you know, you've got that whole, uh, you know, uh, region, you know, on the brink of, you know, maybe a, a regional war. And uh, I think that that Joe Biden has proven himself over these past three years that he's just incapable of managing things here at home, let alone managing things abroad. And Donald Trump, you know, I know that everyone didn't love his you know, personality and all that stuff. But policy wise, I think that people are looking back and saying, wow, things were actually pretty good back then. And let's you know go back to that. So I think that common sense is going to uh, you know, win out. Uh, in November. So there was rumors going around that Ted, uh, that Ron DeSantis was going to drop out if he didn't uh, perform well in Iowa. Obviously that didn't happen. Um, if New Hampshire comes out like overwhelmingly for Trump, he wins by 15 points or something like that. Is this, is this going to carry on or is it just going to fall apart? And we're just going to say, all right, Trump, you got it. What do you think? What do you think, Jim? This, this is uncharted political territory. I mean, we've never seen anything like, again, this is supposedly an open primary. Last eight years have been uncharted political well, territory. But. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said for that, for sure. Yeah, we'll find out, I guess. I don't know. We'll talk more about it next week. But yeah. we do have a lot. We have still a lot to talk about. This report, uh, I just want to go through like all of it because I spent a lot of time looking at this report. Uh, Heartland Institute featured in a new report released just the other day. The report, as I mentioned earlier, was published by the Center for Countering Digital Hate. It is titled The New Climate Denial. All right. So I think that this is part of the narrative that is going to be spun over the next, I don't know, several years or something like that. Um, But the report attempts to do the following. Identify the new strategies of climate deniers, supposedly a shift from old denial, the claim that man-made global warming does not exist, to new denial, the claims that proposed solutions to dealing with climate change won't work. The researchers combed through more than 12,000 videos or more than 4,400 hours of YouTube content dating all the way back to the distant year of 2018. 
They used AI tool to produce and analyze transcripts of all of the content and categorize the climate denial claims into five major categories. And then also the report attempts to mobilize climate alarmists to change their strategies to combat the new denial. And this includes social media companies who they say should change their guidelines to censor and to demonetize new denial. So I want to go through this report piece by piece. So the first thing is the new denial versus the old denial. So the AI system they use categorizes the content into five categories. Uh, The first category, global warming is not happening. The second category, human-generated greenhouse gases are not causing global warming. So those two points is what they call old denial. Uh, The the next three uh, categories, number three, the impacts of global warming are beneficial or harmless. Number four, climate solutions won't work. And number five, climate science and the climate movement are unreliable. So these last three things make up the new denial. So like I said, this paper is trying to show that climate deniers, like everyone on this podcast apparently, uh, have shifted over the past five years from old denial to new denial. So Jim, before I go any further, um, and I've got a lot to say, but before I go any further... Thoughts on this concept of old denial versus new denial. What do you think? Well, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I want to point out that, um, as you noted, they they used AI and they examined 12,000, you know, more than 12,000 videos. And in the report, they singled out three YouTube channels yeah. for uh, specific mention for, um, I guess, engaging in uh, speech about the climate that and the aim of this report is to silence that speech. That's the whole purpose of putting this out, is to urge Google, Alphabet, slash YouTube, all of that, to uh, put a muzzle on podcasts like this. But they mentioned three channels. PragerU, a lot of people listening and watching this podcast are familiar with Dennis Prager and Prager University. Jordan Peterson, (laughs) everybody listening and watching this podcast is familiar with Jordan Peterson. And the Heartland Institute. Of all the channels out there, and in fact, they I think they had 93 channels, the three they mentioned by name, presumably because they are the most dangerous when it comes to this topic, includes the Heartland Institute. That's our main <laughs> yes. channel. Um, you can find it on YouTube, the Heartland Institute. This podcast is streaming on our Stopping Socialism TV channel, which is also run by the Heartland Institute. So I think that's pretty damn great. And I just wanted to mention that at the top. <laughs> but this has been going on. When, when we go through the report, I'm going to start. Um, you're gonna, probably going to see my face start getting redder and redder as this as this report gets me mad. So no there could be a gym rant or two coming. Uh, this is one of the this is one of the tropes of the alarmist left, either in the media or in these uh, phony uh, leftist, big time leftist, money funded uh, NGOs and, and nonprofits. Um, like like this one, which is supposedly against digital hate, right? And so I guess talking about the climate in ways that the government and uh, propagandists don't agree with is now a form of digital hate speech. So that's fantastic. But this trope that like, well, before people like the like me and others at the Heartland Institute, we were engaged in old denial because we said that global warming wasn't happening or we said that human uh, human activity was not causing global warming. Um, we've never said that global warming isn't happening. Um, everybody knows global warming is happening. Uh, so that's a complete red herring. But, and then the idea that, yeah, we we actually continue to still say that human activity is not causing a climate crisis. That's a 
basic staple of the messaging of climate realism, and the Heartland Institute continues to say it. But now they've said that, oh, so we've we've abandoned that because it wasn't working, because we believe the science is settled. So even they have given up on those arguments because they know they're big losers. Yeah. We haven't given up on those arguments. Those are not big losers. They are actually the truth, which is why we keep saying saying them. But now they spin it around saying, like the like you said, the new denial is that we've changed our message. You know, the, the left and the media especially are, are obsessed with the idea that if you say something differently than you said a year ago, or if you if you include other things to talk about in your messaging on climate realism, that you've abandoned or you've changed and that's a big deal and that's a sign of weakness, that's complete BS. So yes, we do say that the impacts of global warming would either be beneficial or harmless. Uh, James Taylor, our president, says that all the time in his public speeches on this. It's one of those main things. It's like global warming's happening, but it's not a big deal. And in fact, it's probably good. It's probably good. And if you've been in the upper Midwest this month, you, you definitely want to have some global warming going on. And the idea that climate solutions don't work is part of a new denial. Well, yeah. we're focused on the so-called climate solutions because they're being shoved down our throats by, by Joe Biden and by the United Nations and by the WEF and by states across this country through things like banning gas stoves and uh, mandating electric vehicles and outlawing the, the internal combustion engine and all of this garbage that is being quickly shoved down our throats. We're supposed to ignore that? Is that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to just seed all of that ground on that nonsense and keep yeah. talking about uh, how global warming isn't happening? Screw off. We can actually walk and chew gum at the same time, and we can actually attack all of your dumb arguments all at once. So I'm going to leave it there. Yeah. I'm going to go on a rant, and I know you want to get through a lot more of this report. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I, all those points are good, and I'm going to expand on on half of those. But uh, right. I just want to like harp on uh, on these criteria of old denial and new denial a little bit more. So okay. just from my perspective. All right. I'm uh, sorry. Global... I got a little carried away. <laughs> no, no. It's great. Global warming is happening. Okay. Human greenhouse gases are causing it to an extent, right? Does that rule me out of old denial camp? Am I not allowed in that camp anymore? Because I feel like those those are things that most people in the Heartland Institute realm will acknowledge. Like that, like you said, I've heard James Taylor say stuff like that before. You know, to what extent humans cause whatever, you know, that that's up for debate. But like those two things are pretty, you know, pretty accepted, but whatever. Uh, as for the new climate, uh, sorry, new denial criteria, the impacts of global warming are beneficial and harmless. Uh, I think that there are probably places around the world that benefit more and some that are more negatively impacted. Okay. Like, again, that doesn't seem like a, a shocking statement. Uh, climate solutions won't work. Yeah, you could put a giant check mark next to my name for that one for, for sure. And climate science and climate movement are unreliable. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to pencil my name next to that one pretty clearly, too. But, uh, Chris, your thoughts on the distinction between these two, uh, you know, old denial and, and new denial and where you stand on it? All right. Well, before I address that, Jim, can you just scroll to the very uh, to the front page of this report, please? The cover shot? OK. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Don't mind the graphic design. I didn't lay this out. So. Okay, so right here, this was produced by a place called the Center for Countering Digital Hate. Okay, over the past, you know, four months or so, there's been a lot of digital hate going on. But guess what? It's happening online and it's mostly anti-Semitic. So why are these people 
honing in on 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 our opinions about climate change and all this stuff as as hate. That's not mm -hmm. hate speech. It has nothing to do with hate speech. So that makes me question, you know, th this entire project, because if they were really trying to counter uh, digital hate, they would be tackling things that are a lot more, you know, worse than people spouting opinions about the, the climate. So, so I, I mean, I'm sorry, but I just I, I, I can't take this thing very seriously. Uh, and then, you know, getting to your um, question about the old versus new denial, I think they're just trying to say, hey, wait a second. You were saying this, you know, 10, 20, 15 years ago. Now you're saying this. So therefore, you're wrong on both counts, which is actually completely, you know, ridiculous because both things can be true at the same time. Okay. And, uh, you know, there's a, I have just, I, I it, it's, it's overwhelming, like how ridiculous oh, this you, is you, because I, I, I cannot believe that in the year 2024, in the United States of America, it is now considered, at least by these people, hate speech to say something as innocuous as, oh, you know what? I think that, you know, her, uh, humans uh, burning fossil fuels. Yeah, that might not be as bad for the environment as some others think. It's like, no, you can't say that. That's hate speech. Yeah. Who, who, how is that? How is Wind that? Solar? Nah, that's not the best solution to climate change. Hate speech. How dare right, you say right. that? Right. So it's like, I mean, I just I, I reject the entire premise of this thing because. Oh, it, you you have all the right to just just wait because right. I serious every part of this. Uh, I'm going to rip to shreds. So uh, so they ran the numbers and it shows that the content has increasingly, you know, the content from these 96 channels, they covered 96 channels. Uh, only You said 15 years, only five years has uh, increasingly yeah. adhered to new denial and lesser with the old denial. And the CEO of this organization in the intro essay speculates that the move is due to the fact that deniers failed to convince the public of old denial so they're yeah. moving on to greener pastures i guess like i said yeah right uh so uh i'm not going to challenge the findings uh when i saw the report i assumed that the timeline was much longer i i figured that the shift in categories supposedly occurred over like the span of decades not five years so it seems a little goofy to me that like as if uh, uh, climate and weather related stuff that has happened since 2018 has forced evil climate deniers to reassess their messaging. Like that whole framework just seems a little weak to me. Uh, but I think that the findings of this report aren't groundbreaking. And I don't think that they're proof of any, uh, you know, of the, uh, of the CEO of this, of this publication's conclusions. I think that it's just an observation based on the data and not some nefarious conspiracy of big oil and all their acolytes that they have in their pocket or something like that. In fact, I have a few theories that could explain uh, the supposed switching of strategies. So let's just float these out there and see what you guys think. Number one, AOC's Green New Deal. That didn't that wasn't a thing until like February of 2019. Right. So a year into this study of five years. The Green New Deal became a focal point of the climate change policy agenda, and it also became a focal point uh, for critics of this sort of agenda, right? So now we automatically had some policy thing to point at and say, no, this isn't going to work. That's not a change of strategy. That's just responding to the climate news that's going on. And when you know AOC says that we need to rein in cow farts, you make fun of the the proposed cow fart ban. You know, that's just what you do. That's not a change of strategy. That's just a reaction to what's in the news. Uh, whereas the uh, many years prior to this period of time, 
uh, of of uh, AOC's Green New Deal. Al Gore and his world is going to end stuff was more of the focal point of the global warming conversation. So responding to Al Gore and saying, no, the world's not ending, that would be considered old denial. So it's just kind of reacting to the stuff that's in the news. It's not a tra- change of strategy. And then here's another idea. Uh, even for such a short time period, again, this is like a five-year time period, a lot of YouTube shows that they covered here um, are, are not even five years old. So uh, uh, like the it, you're looking at the Heartland Institute. Jim, you mentioned that the Heartland Institute is, is prominently featured in this report. The Climate Change Roundtable show, which is live every Friday at noon central time. That's on not the main even, channel, the Heartland Institute's the, main channel. <laughs> that's right. That's not even two years old. So, uh, you know, on the Climate Change Roundtable, uh, because it's a weekly show, they're frequently responding to the climate stories of the week, which often revolve around policy. So just by that nature, they would be considered, you know, new denial. Uh, And prior to that show on our channel, our main channel, prior to that show existing, there was a higher proportion of videos on our channel that came from our climate conferences, which are far more centered around the science of climate change and lesser so on the policies. Mm-hmm. So again, like just the fact that the climate change roundtable exists, the makeup of our content uh, on our channel has skewed more towards new denial from quote unquote old denial. It's not like this was some sort of strategy and the board of the Heartland Institute was like, oh, you guys got to talk about this. Nothing like that ever happened. It was just a natural change of the topics that were in the news that we were covering on a more frequent basis. Yes, yeah, so and they and they actually they had a specific and they have citations. They cite specific videos, and one of the videos they they cited was from Climate Change Roundtable episode number seven, uh, where Anthony Watts had talked about how the climate modeling is not reliable. It's garbage, um, garbage in, garbage out. They haven't been right in the past, so why would you think they're going to be right in the future? That is uh, so-called disinformation, um, potentially hate speech, and needs to be suppressed. And the reason why we are cited so frequently in this report is because exactly what you said, Donnie, we cover this topic like nobody else, and we do it on a weekly basis. And we, in fact, one of the most fun features of the Climate Change Roundtable show is they start off with the crazy climate news, news of the week. It is hard for them to do that segment in 30 minutes <laughs> or less because there is always so much every week. And so this this report is out and we are targeted because we are very effective in what we do. They are horrified that there is competent um, and you know competent people who create interesting shows that are often fun that are countering climate alarmism. It's that fact that makes us a huge threat. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine if if there was no change in strategy towards new denial, right? Could you imagine a weekly show on just like the science of climate change not being like a dire threat? Like we're seriously going to have every week an episode about how uh, sensitivity rates of CO2 in the atmosphere aren't causing a climate crisis. Like I think like you would cover all of those topics in the span of like two months. You know, you have to you have to cover the policies that are being proposed. It's not an overt you know, conscious switch of, uh, uh, you know, a nefarious switch of strategies. It's just the way that it works. Well, so Donnie, I, it, but I think their whole premise is ridiculous. Go we're ahead, also responding to their changing rhetoric. So I yes. remember back in the day when I was a kid, it was all about global warming, global exactly. warming, global warming, global warming. Okay. In the last few years, they have definitely pivoted away from global warming and they've, you know, embraced climate change. 
So, you know, part of our job is to respond to their, you know, to their new, uh, you know, talking points. Yeah. Also, one of the things that they've done in recent years is the and as as this chart shows, they've spouted all these climate solutions like EVs and you can't have this, you know, type of appliance and all that. And all we're doing is we're responding to them. Exactly. So we're just we're, we're just pointing out the facts. And just this week, John Kerry was at Davos and he was saying all the reports, all the true and actual reporting about EVs not working in the cold, the batteries not charging and all that kind of stuff. He just said, no, that's just not happening. Mm-hmm. But we're watching it happen in real time, right in front of our very eyes. So how can he say that that's misinformation when it's happening literally the, you know, the second that he's saying that? So really, the headline think, in Chicago was that there was a Tesla graveyard downtown exactly. near charging Ex- stations. Ex- the charging Ex- stations didn't work. It was too cold. Exactly. We had three or four days where it did not get above one degree at best. And uh, yeah, Tesla graveyards out there that won't charge up. And though they people just abandoned them and walked off. They figure, who's going right. to steal it? You of can't. Course. It's too heavy to haul away and uh, it can't run. But one of the things that they've done, and I'm talking about the people who are pushing the alarmist agenda, is that they've gone, you know, to a you know greater degree of, you know, anti-freedom, you know, anti, uh, you know, personal liberty uh, policies. And the people are responding to them and they're saying, no, we don't want to do this. And we're just, you know, voicing that concern saying not only is this not good for the people, but it's also not good for the economy. And just there's all sorts of uh, implications at play here. And I think that they're very annoyed and upset and angry that how dare they question, you know, our you know vision for the future. Oh, we've, we've established that that's the way it's going to be. And these these people have the audacity to, to question that and to actually look up the science and, and, you know, prove that we're wrong. And so really, it shows me that they are uh, very worried that their climate alarmism uh, propaganda is not, you know, it's not resonating with the public. And that's why they are going to the ultimate tactic of, well, we'll just shut you up and call you a hate, you know, a hate monger. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to their solutions at the end. Uh, Jim, can you scroll down to where it says the blaze and it has a chart? Uh, so, yeah, in all of these cases. So basically, I just reject their entire premise. Um, I think that in all of these cases, it's not climate realists running away from hard truths. It's <laughs> us following what they're talking about and responding to it for the most <laughs> yes. part, you know, it's so the, the whole, the whole basis of the report is ridiculous. So anyways, uh, let, let's talk about some of these, um, these case studies that they talk about as some of the channels that they prominently feature in this report. And they show with these, if you're watching the episode on YouTube or rumble or X or Facebook, you'll, you'll see the chart that I'm referring to, but they have these charts that are supposedly illustrating this shift of these prominent channels from old denial to new denial. So their first one that they're talking about is the blaze, which shows um, a pretty like, I don't know, like they didn't talk about climate change denial, quote unquote, very much in the year 2018. Uh, you'll see the the two lines kind of run parallel to each other. And then it dips in 2020, obviously, because everyone's talking about uh, COVID. They're not talking about you know, climate change or anything. And then after COVID, you see a massive spike in quote unquote new denial. And then the old denial kind of just stays at that baseline low point level. So is this, is this some sort of shift towards new denial? No. Do you know what that 2021 spike uh, is correlated with? Oh, it's correlated with the release of the great reset book. 
That book came out right then, right then in 2021, right at the beginning of 2021. And guess what? That book is chock full of ESG, uh, fighting back against ESG. And one of the main parts of ESG is it's a supposed solution to combat climate change. So this wasn't some shift of strategy. This was just Glenn Beck talking about the Great Reset and ESG. This report shows nothing. Chris, go ahead. What else happened in early 2021? Joe Biden, you know, became the president and he started, you know, pushing all these crazy policies. So if you think back 2018, 2019, even into 2020, when Donald Trump was in the White House, uh, we weren't we weren't having we weren't we didn't have to have this debate near to the degree that we do today because Donald Trump was doing away with a lot of these bad policies. And we were congratulating that. We thought that was a great thing. The economy yeah. was doing well and people were doing, you know, were doing well. But then 2021 marks the point at which, you know, Joe Biden comes in and just declares, you know, war on climate change with all the bans and all the you know mandates and just all the. Uh, I almost yeah, we, said it, but yeah, <laughs> we, we know we know. We, we worked closely with Glenn Beck during that whole rollout of the Great Reset book. That was like his bread and butter content for a year and a half, at least, probably up to the peak of what this uh, this chart is showing. That is all directly correlated, not with some nefarious shift of strategy to go to greener pastures or whatever. It, was be- it coincided with the book's release. So that's what this chart is showing. Uh, the next one is Jordan Peterson. If you could scroll down to the Jordan Peterson uh, uh, chart, because I think that this one is equally as ridiculous and not revealing of their 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 core point that they're trying to make uh, in this in this report. But the, another one of these very influential pod uh, shows that they mention is Jordan Peterson, and in this chart, once we get it pulled up, there it is. Okay. So this is a this is another chart that's supposedly showing the stri- shift in strategies, but if you look at it, uh, there, it's basically zeroed out between 2019 and midway through 2020, and that's because Jordan Peterson was out of the public spotlight completely. He was in in the hospital for treatment for some condition or whatever. He just literally wasn't doing anything uh, on anything, and then prior to that. His public appearances had nothing to do with climate change because that wasn't a topic that he talked about at all. He was talking about like philosophy and and religion and all of this sort of like, uh, you know, cultural stuff. But he didn't get into that at all. So then once he got back onto the scene, he's hired by Daily Wire. Uh, the news of the Great Reset and everything is the, kind of like the hottest topic. So then they talked about that. Like, if you look up Jordan Peterson and ESG, like, there's plenty of stuff of him talking about it. Again, it's not some shift of strategy or something. It's just him talking about the climate-related stuff that's in the news. So this, again, this chart shows absolutely nothing that the the report is trying to suggest it's showing. Yeah, and I mean, again, it's not... It, we were... The Harlan Stew is one of the first organizations and I guess shows to take the Green New Deal as proposed by AOC seriously. We mm-hmm. we broke it down. We did a we did a report on it. We said, okay, let's take this policy seriously. It was kind of hard to do in the beginning because it was so crazy. But what happened in 2021 and 2022? Joe Biden put the Green New Deal in his Inflation Reduction Act. So all of these crazy ideas got again shoved down our throats. And so yeah, you got to talk about it. That's not new denial. That is addressing new crazy crap, climate crap that is now becoming policy across the United States and the world. Right. Yeah, I think that this this report is basically just showing the impact of the Great Reset book. 
<laughs> like I honestly well, yes. think maybe I'm a little biased, but there's nothing nefarious about this observed shift towards new denial. I assure you, big oil robber barons had zero role in the in the or influence in the origins, the creative process, or the production of the Great Reset book. I can guarantee you that. So thank you, Center for Countering Digital Hate. Thank you for producing a report that quantifies the cultural impact and political discourse that uh, that that we had with the book uh, with Glenn Beck. So I just want to thank you. Put out a shout out there, just kind of showing these nice charts, showing the impact that the Great Reset book had. Um, any last thoughts on this? Because then I want to move on to their whole section that they have about ad revenue, and they're trying to like guilt social media companies into demonetizing this sort of stuff. Go for it. All right. So ad revenue. So this is uh, section 10, I think, Jim. <clears throat> the report starts out by listing specific ads that run during these YouTube videos. And they have a little disclaimer saying, oh, we're not trying to shame these people, but they're like showing them their logos and all of that stuff. I just thought was kind of weird. But they're showing this to kind of talk about how much money is involved in this, uh, you know, this this climate disinformation that's going around on youtube and now listen to this part this is the first paragraph under that uh that headline there it says youtube is potentially making up to 13.4 million dollars a year in ad revenue from channels studied by this report that have posted climate denial content so youtube is potentially making 13 million dollars a year in ad revenue from channels studied by this report that have posted climate denial content. I wanted to read that twice because it's missing some core factors that would make that $13 million uh, number credible. Okay. So it, it goes on to explain how they got their numbers and all of this. Uh, they use a social blade, which, which, you know, shows how many views or whatever, all the numbers associated with it. And they just did some basic multiplication. The problem, they counted every view on all of these channels meaning that they seem to include the ad revenue that Jordan Peterson gets when he does a video about religion or philosophy mm -hmm. or one of the other million topics that he discusses. And that's the same with The Blaze. It's not like they're only talking about climate change. They're talking about everything. That's the same with PragerU, uh, Joe Rogan, Epic Times, Newsmax, John Stossel, Andrew Claven, Lex Friedman. 90% of this list that's on here they talk about climate change here and there, but it's certainly not their like their primary topic of coverage. I mean, Joe Rogan might have like every 50th episode might be related to climate change. And I think that's the same with half of these people on this list, if not more. So sure, there are some channels that focus more on climate change. Like there is one in there that's called Energy Future or Ike. Uh, or, you know, probably climate resistance. Surely they have, you know, maybe primarily climate related stuff. But I would wager that those, the, the, the views of those videos of those channels pale in comparisons to the Joe Rogans and the Epic Times and the right. John Stossels and the Newsmaxes. So I would bet that out of the $13.4 million attributed to these channels, maybe 5% specifically are climate related. And I am being generous there. I think you so, are. So we're talking about like $650,000 of which the Heartland Institute is making uh, about 45 bucks. Right. <laughs> you know, well, like this, this, this is yeah. an absurd claim by them. It well, I just absurd. looked up, I just looked up, I just Googled as you were talking, Donnie, um, YouTube annual revenue. YouTube itself 
And it's for its share of the advertising that they do with their channel partners, which includes us, I suppose, who have Billions. monetized channels, was $29.2 billion. <laughs> so again, this this is, and, and Heartland's channel is monetized. Um, this channel is also, the Stopping Socialism TV channel is also monetized. Not so much to make money, believe me. We don't make it, we don't make enough money on these things. I think... Um, you know, it's, it's, we, we get maybe 50 bucks a month on it, on this exactly. kind of stuff. We are not making a living on this. Like a lot of people on YouTube do. We monetized, we, we went, we worked to get the channels monetized because supposedly the algorithm smiles a little bit brighter at, at channels that are monetized versus the, versus those that are not. But we, if we have a, we've had a couple of uh, videos go viral completely by accident. And then a, not by accident because the algorithm actually chose it for the right reasons because it was it was popular and it was related to a lot of videos other people were watching that's kind of how it works and then it was discovered by a human at youtube that this is problematic we can't do this and then suddenly our our videos are going like crazy and then they just drop right off a cliff because a human being turned off the switch and we get this happening to us all the time so yeah the 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 idea as you said not even a million dollars six hundred fifty thousand dollars perhaps on not just not not us not not by any stretch by all of the ninety some channels that they that they surveyed yeah um, maybe six hundred grand in, in total revenue for a for a uh, company that makes twenty nine point twenty nine point two billion dollars and that was in twenty twenty two the latest info available it you would you would a a logically thinking person would say why are you even bothering with these guys <laughs> they're so small. How could they possibly have so much in influence that you would want to um, silence them, label them as disinformation peddlers, um, put, you know, maybe even hate speech, since we have a hate speech organization doing this entire report. The reason why they're doing it is because even though we are small, even though we don't make any money on this, we are enormously effective. They are not, they cannot handle a second, a second of speech that counters their agenda. And they will not stand for it. And so no matter how small you are, you are very effective. They will squash you like a bug with every tool they have. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really it, unbelievable. It, it reminds me, you know, uh, like back in the you know medieval era when, you know, someone questioned, you know, the, the Pope or someone questioned, oh, wait a second, maybe the earth isn't the center of the universe. What did they do? They just completely silenced them. You know, mm -hmm. they put them in, in some dungeon and said, you can't say that kind of stuff because you are threatening our power. We're doing the same exact thing. And climate change is the tool to which they are trying to increase their power while making lots of money and control people's lives. And they, I think, are very, very frustrated that we are a thorn in their side, that this, you know, our organization and a few others can influence the population to, to say that this is all bogus. We don't we don't care about this. And when you see the polls and climate change is, you know, ranked like ninth out of the 10 most important issues on people's radars, I think that just makes their blood boil and their, you know, steam come out of their ears so that then they have to resort to drastic tactics. And one of the mm -hmm. most drastic tactic, tactics is censorship. Mm -hmm. So just should, I, I completely agree with uh, Jim, uh, Jim's assessment here that this this is evidence of how influential we are because people are seeing through the, you know, climate change, uh, you know, propaganda. Yeah, yeah. And all I we're just, doing is just pointing out the truth. I, I just love this headline, you know, of this section. YouTube makes up to $13 million a year from channels posting climate denial. And it's just like, it, it, it's as if 
again, they're involved in it in some nefarious way because they get a few extra bucks in their pocket or something like that. And then even when they're trying to do that, which is absurd because 13 million is a, and they even say it is a drop in the bucket to the $29 billion that they make or something. Uh, it's still overstating it by probably 95%, if not more. Uh, so yeah, it's just an absurd, absurd uh, report se section in this report. So then we get to the recommendations, and this is where it gets insidious, in my opinion. So it has three recommendations. Number one, Google must update its policy on climate denial content. They talk about how old denial is already against the content guidelines of YouTube, but not new denial, and that needs to be addressed, apparently. So Google must update its policy, says the report. Its current policy is quoted saying, we do not allow content that contradicts authoritative scientific consensus on climate change. The recommended policy uh, change by this organization thinks that it should be switched to. We do not allow content that contradicts the authoritative scientific consensus on the causes, impacts, and solutions to climate change. So do you see this? This is what this report is. Is This is what it all boils down to. They're trying to convince Google and YouTube, Alphabet, whatever, to not allow the monetization of videos that say, oh, you know, wind and solar, not the best when it comes to fighting against climate change. That shouldn't be allowed. That should not be allowed, according to this organization. How bleeping absurd is that? <laughs> like, I, that was one of the first things that I saw because I, I, I usually read reports from the um, from the bottom up. But uh, that was one of the first things I saw, and I was just blown away by it. I mean, Jim, we can't even we can't we could be the biggest climate change is going to destroy us all. We need to do something before we all die. But wind and solar is not the best. That shouldn't be allowed, according to them. Can can you even wrap your head around uh, the mindset that would lead somebody to this conclusion? Because I really can't. I can because these are tyrants. These are petty tyrants who are abusing the power and the positions they have on basically monopolistic platforms like YouTube to sign in, you know, let's let's be honest about it. The ideology, the, the ideology of of Silicon Valley and places like this skews way farther to the left than a normal, you know, a normal American or certainly than us. So it's an attempt to abuse the power that they wield in in these platforms to silence anybody who says, you know, EVs suck. You know, that's apparently now mis or disinformation. And they can't allow you to say EVs suck, even though most people can look outside their windows in the middle of winter and see a Tesla graveyard and think to themselves, I think EVs suck. But you can't say it on YouTube, apparently, nope. but you're allowed nope. to think it. For now, you're allowed to think it your own way. Um, so they are urging... That's what's so amazing about this. Scientific consensus on the causes, impacts, and solutions to climate change. You can't say it. The idea, you, that means you can't even say what is obvious, that humans cannot control the climate. We just can't. It is impossible. The earth is very, very powerful. And reducing CO2 emissions by 10% or going so-called net zero by 2050 is not going to stop climate change. It is absurd. We had we've had ice ages come and go through human history and there were no SUVs out there. So the climate is far far out of our control. But they are what they're urging to be done here. And again, they use the they use the um the cloak of countering digital hate. So you better pay attention. This is very important. 
because we're on, you know, we're, we're the watchdogs for digital hate. And so, by the way, if anybody says that um, wind turbines kill hundreds of thousands of birds and bats every year, no, you can't let people say that on YouTube because that is um, th that is criticizing a solution to climate change. Even if you are um, like Michael Schellenberger, who's been on this podcast, uh, he is um, he's he's become awake on this issue when he was a he was a radical environmentalist just maybe five years ago. His preferred solution to climate change or reducing our CO2 emissions, if you care about that, and I don't, but if you care about that, his preferred solution is to just go nuclear everywhere. Just use nuclear power. Don't build enormous um, wind turbine uh, operations on the tops of hills where you clear cut all of the forest to put up these wind farms. Don't um, destroy the habitat of animals by clear cutting and putting up solar panels. Just go nuclear. Now, by this criteria, well, he'd be in big trouble because that's not the scientific consensus on the solutions to climate change. Because apparently the, 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 the people that run the world, frankly, have one solution in mind. Drastically reduce your standard of living, drastically increase the, um, the energy prices that you pay, and also make that energy less reliable. Any discussion of any other thing be it fossil fuels or nuclear, is apparently disinformation and needs to be silenced. It needs to be demonetized. It's just, it's tyrannical. It's tyrannical, but it seems to be the, the, the reflex of these sorts of, of, of these sorts of people. Yeah, no, it, it's insane. And, and the other, and that's, that's kind of the main one that I want to talk about. There's the two other solutions kind of just like uh, are supplementary to that. Number one, number two, digital platforms must demonetize and de-amplify yep. climate denial content. That's uh, us. So, so it says to support the global efforts. <laughs> this is again, this is directly reading from the report to support the global efforts to avert climate disaster. <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and X should all demonetize and de-amplify new denial content. So again, if you have the audacity to say EVs aren't good, boom, you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to monetize your content. And it protects uh, so, advertisers from bankrolling harmful content, like saying <laughs> EVs suck. Yeah. So you shouldn't be allowed to say, you shouldn't be allowed to question wind and solar. You shouldn't be able to question the ending of fossil fuels because that's a solution. And you shouldn't be able to, uh, you know, even question ESG, I suppose. Like, did these people understand how crazy this is? And then the third one, number three, climate advocates, uh, basically that they, uh, uh, says, use this report as a call to action to address new denial. So basically... All of those dedicated to the cause of, of fighting against climate change should push for legislation. This is in the final paragraph of this section. Should push for legislation that calls for further regulation of digital platforms. So this entire report on its faulty premises, <laughs> on, on its faulty uh, you know, conclusions and all of that is all for the purpose of trying to silence shows like ours uh, from talking about these things. It's really, really unbelievable. Actually, then, you know, no, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you finish. Go do it. I was just gonna say what really stands out to me is the sentence. This report should be used as a call to action for those who want to advance progress against climate change. I thought this report was all about countering hate. It has <laughs> nothing to do with hate. It's actually, oh, whoops. Like, the, you know, they, they said that the, the silent part out loud here. Uh oh. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. But well, you, um, you, you kind of skipped over a sentence that I highlighted here on the screen, Donnie. Go ahead. That, go ahead. Um, 
<laughs> this is apparently a conspiracy theory. The statement that humans are not the main cause of, of global temperature increases. If you believe that, that's a conspiracy theory. And troublingly to these um, to these totalitarian leftists at the Center for Countering Digital Hate, they found that 43% of adults and 56% of teenagers who report high activity on social media expressed agreement with that statement that humans are not the main cause of climate change. <laughs> that is why this is happening. Yeah, because, exactly. Too influential. Because if, if people are exposed to even a little bit of logical and scientific-based information, the entire global warming uh, is is catastrophe. So we have to base, basically impose you, Marxism on the world to save the planet. Falls apart. You know it, it, what's on? What's the last thing I want to say about this report is that like, does our side? ever demand that their blatant disinformation be banned from public platforms i mean we we every week we point out uh their misinformation or we refute the things that they're saying or their claims but do we ever demand its removal like, i seriously can't think of an example maybe i'm just like missing something but when you hear them repeatedly People on the other side of this debate repeatedly using the 97% of scientists agree. They attribute that to like everything, you know, whether it's like an existential crisis or solutions to climate change or we have to abandon fossil fuels. They'll routinely put that 97% number next to it. And that's not the case. That's not the case like at all. Uh, so do we ever demand that that's taken down from the Internet or demonetized? Like, I don't think anyone on our side ever does that. Or right. these claims that snow is becoming extinct or the claim that like storms are coming more severe. I mean, on a daily basis, we refute these things, but we never demand that they're taken down. Like, it just doesn't seem to be in uh, the our DNA to but do Donnie, that. But, but that that mindset is far wider than just the climate change, you know, uh, arena, you know, that mindset, which, you know, is the totalitarian, we want to, you know, control speech, and we want to uh, censor anything that we don't want the American people to hear. I think that that is across the board. There's so many issues that that plays in, whether it's cultural issues, economic issues, all over the place. And what's scary is if they do uh, succeed in shutting up people who are just expressing, you know, concern about the solutions or, Hey, maybe, you know, that model's not right. Well, then is that going to be applied to all of the other things that they want to uh, have a, you know, idea monopoly on? And if so, then, then, then we don't live in a free country anymore. Yeah. Then we live in the Soviet union and we all have to go along to get along. We all have to say what the party wants us to say, even though it's crazy. And even though it makes no sense. And that is the scary thing that I just hope, we avoid. And that's why we have to plant a flag and make sure that we take a stand on this issue. Because if we allow them to say, no, only you can say what we want you to say about climate change. Well, then that, you know, slippery slope has been, you know, set and uh, that Pandora's out of the box. And we just can't let that happen. I, I, I would never dream of doing a study like this with the intention of stopping somebody's ability of talking about things that I think are wrong. I would never dream of creating an artificial intelligence that combs through hours and hours of data to categorize their claims that I think are wrong with the sole intention of trying to get them demonetized on platforms. But that's because you're confident in your arguments. They're not <laughs> confident in their arguments. And that's why I think that, that that is what this all boils down to. 
they are scared out of their minds that all their scientific consensus and all this authoritative blah, blah, blah is all falling apart. The American people see right through it. The EV thing is a total bust. The wheels are falling off of it. And Literally. they're just like, they're yeah, they're, but they're just in like shock mode. So people in shock mode and people who are, you know, desperate resort to desperate measures. And that's why they're saying, okay, well, we just need to literally just shut up everyone who's, who's, uh, you know, not in alignment with our message thinking that, well, then, then the people will buy it. And, you know, I don't want to like, you know, keep going on here, but Joe, but Joe Biden, Kamala Harris keep saying the same thing about the economy. They keep telling the American people on, you know, CNN or the view or whatever, the economy is great and you just don't know it yet. But if we just keep telling you that, then, then you will understand it's great. No, that doesn't work like that, okay? People make observations in their real-world experiences. And when someone sees these, you know, messes with, you know, the EVs or their uh, electricity bill going through the roof or the price of anything going through the roof because of all this stupid climate, you know what, well, then I think that they're going to make up their own minds. And they don't no, want no, that Chris. to happen. Chris, no, it's just a shift in strategy. See, uh, criticizing uh, 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 Biden on, like, the you know, Afghanistan pullout and how that was all messed up. Uh, that's old anti-Biden uh, stuff. It's, <laughs> everyone shifted, you know, after our meeting with the Koch brothers, everything shifted to new anti-Joe oh, Biden God. stuff, I, which I is... I forgot. I didn't get that Yeah, memo. which is the, you know, criticizing Send me, the, the, send me that memo from, will, from, yeah. from, from Koch Industries, please. <laughs> will do, will do. It's a shift of strategies. You didn't get that memo. Got it. Okay. All right. Look, Jim, I, I value free speech in the First Amendment in our Constitution, which is why I would never, ever advocate for silencing people who disagree with me. But that, of course, is the most operandi of the left. And as, yeah. we've, as, as we pointed out, and it's because they know they cannot win these arguments on their own, and they know that the data and the science are garbage. But if you were, if you had the aim to tackle the biggest um, purveyors of disinformation in the United States today, you would be going after the New York Times, CNN, ABC, NBC, all of our so-called mainstream media in this country. The list of falsehoods and disinformation that they peddled for the last three years, shoot, since 2016, yeah, is too voluminous to fully ca- uh, um, catalog, right? But from the Hunter Biden laptop, the, what, the Department of Justice just this week admitted, yeah, that wasn't Russian disinformation. That was real. We knew it the whole time. Sorry, here it is in a, in a, in a court filing. Um, to the the sources of, of uh, that pain, the pandemic, of the virus, of unknown origin and all of that stuff. All sorts of disinformation was released about that when it comes to masking and treatments and all this other stuff. Uh, as and as Chris just pointed out, you know the economy supposedly being just great. Um, we're told that by our mainstream media, and then even with climate, you get story after story after story about how uh, storms are increasing and extreme weather is on the rise. And this show plus the climate change roundtable show on Fridays do something very very simple. They show we show the actual data that shows that extreme weather is on the decline, not increasing that hurricanes are on the decline, not increasing, that acreage burned by forest fires is decreasing, not increasing. And so if you are interested in this sort of thing, Center for, Center for uh, Countering Digital Hate, why don't you talk to the New York, your buddies at the New York Times and CNN and MSNBC and get them to start telling the truth. And we know why they will not yeah. do that, because they're yeah. all in the same propaganda boat. Yeah, and that's, you know, what, that's what all of this is about. They want you to believe the lies and the propaganda and not even think about what the truth may be. Yeah, you know, you, you're you're like talking to the author, right? And, and I think 
and it's very likely that they'll actually watch this because you know organizations i don't don't know if they're like a big organization but surely they're paying attention to all the coverage that their report gets like they mentioned us in the report they might actually be watching hey guys Hey guys, shame on you. Uh, but yeah, I just, I just, can I put out just one last message to to these authors if they still held on to an hour into this podcast? Like, what, what if you're wrong? You know, what if you're wrong specifically about like the solutions that are being proposed here? Like, what if you're wrong uh, about the the male effects that might come with shutting off fossil fuels and mandating that everybody goes to EV? And, you know, the effects of wind and solar and all of that. Like, what if that leads to a lot of pain and misery and the degradation of people's living standards and all of that? And there wasn't anybody anymore that could challenge it and warn, hey, this might lead to pain and suffering and all of that because they were all been demonetized and kicked off of platforms. What if that happens? Are you you fine with that? Are you just going to sleep nicely, you know, knowing that, you know, when people are caught off, uh, caught off guard when their energy is not working? Uh, when all the the wind turbines freeze in Texas and people die and all of that sort of stuff, and everyone's like, "What? We didn't know. We didn't know this would happen." Are you fine that that people not knowing the results of the consequences of these policies are reflected in the the what you're suggesting that the uh, Google and all of that should do? Are you fine with that? Like that just seems a little bit too much for me. But you know, maybe it's fine with you. All right, last thing, real quick, just a few more minutes. But uh, this report also comes. Out right after, uh, right around the same time as uh, Davos is taking place, and a lot of uh, Davos's content, their conference is based off a recently released global risks report, which puts "quote unquote" misinformation and disinformation at the top concern uh, global risk over the next two years. Higher than extreme weather events, higher than economic downturn, higher than war. So we're going to do a, I think we're probably end up doing a lot on Davos next week. We're still in the middle of the Davos conference. I obviously haven't watched any panels from today. Uh, I've watched several panels and speeches so far over the past couple of days. Some interesting things from Klaus Schwab, some interesting things um, out of Europe. Big pushes to get Ukraine to join the European Union. How long has that been a thing? I've heard them like trying to get them to join NATO, but European Union, I didn't know that was going on. Uh, but we're going to get into all that more next week as the conference wraps up and we can have time to sift through all of the content of the 200 plus panels. Uh, but there is one thing that we have to cover this week, and that is the new Argentina president was at Davos. And Jim, you sent me this tweet earlier, maybe yesterday or something, but I have the same sentiments on the matter. So don't don't think that I'm ripping off the person that you sent me the tweet of. Uh, but when I saw that uh, that uh, the Argentine president, what's his name, Malay, was going to Davos, I was a little disappointed. I thought like, oh, man, I thought he was going to like be one of these guys that like hack and slash the ruling power structures in Argentina, drastically reduce the size of government, all of that. Now he's going to rub elbows with the, the elites, cultural elites at Davos. Like, ah, I'm so disappointed. Well, he didn't go there to rub elbows. No, he went there to rub the noses of the global elites in the stain they left on the rug. So we have a clip. We have about a minute clip of uh, of his statements at Davos. Let's go ahead and, and play this video, Jim. Good afternoon. Thank you very much. 
Today, I'm here to tell you that the Western world is in danger. And it is endangered because those who are supposed to have to defend the values of the West are co-opted by a vision of the world that inexorably leads to socialism and thereby to poverty. Unfortunately, in recent decades, motivated by some well-meaning individuals willing to help others and others motivated by the wish to belong to a privileged caste, the main leaders of the Western world have abandoned the model of freedom for different versions of what we call collectivism. We're here to tell you that collectivist experiments are never the solution to the problems that afflict the citizens of the world. Rather, they are the root cause. Do believe me, no one better place than us Argentines to testify to these two points. I think you I could hear a pin drop in that room. I think yeah. Javier Malay went to Davos. Javier Malay went to Davos to throw truth bombs and chew bubblegum. And he's all out of bubblegum. That's right. Oh, man. You sent me that clip earlier uh, yesterday, I think. I was just like, oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. That's what he's there for. Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah. Hopefully, yes. he, yeah. Christine says, what a brave dude. Yeah. Hopefully, he makes it out of Davos. Hopefully, yeah. there's no well, unfortunate. By the way, I learned there. today that he, that um, Malay flew commercial to Davos. Of course, he did. Of course, so he he's, did. So he's um, certainly the only world leader to actually fly on a commercial jet instead of a private plane. And yeah, uh, he, he wanted to take a sailboat there, but uh, yeah. but uh, Greta wasn't invited, so yeah. Well, so that, that tweet I sent you, the guy compared it to um, to Ricky Gervais just absolutely roasting everybody in Hollywood when he was uh, host of the uh, Golden Globe Awards a few that's years right. ago. So that's the, we actually, if you go to stoppingsocialism.com, we actually have his entire speech translated into English. And posted there, and so we probably uh, will be covering that speech and more about uh, Davos and the WEF in the shows to come. Yeah, Jack has actually been hard at work. I think most of today already uh, transcribing all of the kind of just like the speeches, uh, standalone speeches, transcribing them and putting the tr uh, transcripts on StoppingSocialism.com. So if you want to see in text the speeches by like Klaus Schwab and. Uh, Ursulon von der Meyer or whatever, the president of the EU and all of that, and a few other people that Malay, uh, Gutierrez from the UN, a handful of others, you can go to stoppingsocialism.com. Chris, final words on any of this stuff before we sign off for the day? Well, I've been uh, watching a couple of the John Kerry panels, and what he says this year is just unbelievable. I've oh, also uh, done done the transcript, and they will be up on stoppingsocialism.com pretty soon because he is taking the writer to a whole new level. <laughs> yeah, well this is his uh this is his farewell tour, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he is going to be stepping down as the climate czar pretty pretty soon here. So, uh you know, he's got to leave it all on the table. He's going to get as as kind of dire with it as as he needs to get in this final appearance at Davos. So, yeah, next week I think we're probably going to either cover it extensively or dedicate the entire episode to Davos because it'll be wrapped up by the end of Friday. Um, so definitely make sure to tune in 
next week i want to thank everybody for joining us for this episode of in the tank podcast join us every week for a new episode for those that are listening on itunes leave a review for us on itunes it would greatly we would greatly appreciate it you could also join us a day earlier where we are live streaming on thursdays at noon central time on facebook and youtube and x and rumble and you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Super chat functionality enabled if you want to support the show that way. Or if you don't want to spend a penny, but just want to spend a couple of seconds to support the show, hitting that like button, sharing this content, subscribing if you haven't already, or just leaving a comment under the video all helps break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. If you'd like, you could follow us on Twitter at In The Tank Pod, or you can send us your comments, questions, and suggestions to the show by emailing us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com jim lakely where can the fine people find you you can find me at jay lakely on twitter at heartland inst on twitter and always go to heartland.org fantastic chris talgo what do you have to pitch today so i hope everyone goes to heartland.org and we do have a new uh, policy study out about the uh, federal spending and how to solve it so please go check that out it's called cpi minus x it's right there on the front page can't miss it and it's uh definitely worthwhile because i know we are, didn't get into this on this uh this episode but yeah we are in a very very dire fiscal uh state of affairs and we need to do something about it yep absolutely all right fantastic we will talk to you all next week He's a lion, dog-faced pony soldier.